0: The Mac Observer's Mac Gab, episode 553, for Tuesday, May 19th,
1: 2015.
0: <music> uh, greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Gab. The show where you send in questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We answer your questions, share your tips, share some cool stuff found every now and again. We've been called the Card Talk for Apple Geeks. I'm not sure which one of us that makes either one of us, but that's a, as good a moniker as any. This episode is sponsored in part by Bare Bones Software at barebones.com, makers of the fine text editing utility, BBEdit. We'll talk more about that later in the show. Also sponsored by Linda at lynda dot com slash mGG where you get ten free days of their awesome training videos and sponsored by otherworld Confu- otherworld computing at maxsales.com, makers of the fine new Thunderbolt Two dock Great RAM, decades worth of excellent products and customer service. We'll talk more about them at maxsales.com later on in this episode as well. here back in Durham New Hampshire I'm Dave Hamilton back oh. Cool. And and
2: here in um a, a climatically challenged, um, I guess, fearful Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. How are you doing today, John F. Braun? I think I'm doing great, Dave. I'm doing great today and I was doing great this week because I, I learned a new skill, Dave. <laughs> I, I learned how to repair, as you may have, you know. I said climatically challenged because the weather now here is getting... Warmer, mm-hmm. and when it gets warmer, you need
0: air conditioning. And I learned you how to at prepare. least want air conditioning. Uh, uh,
2: y- yes, it's you it's a, especially about a car with a dark interior, and it starts sure. getting a uh, you know when the sunlight uh, comes down, and it gets quite warm inside of a vehicle. Sure, and, uh, you know. So two tips. So number one, don't leave your pets in your hot vehicle. That's a no no, and uh, people should know that. But number two. Uh, you know, I switched on my air conditioning in the car, Dave, and it wasn't working, but I learned how to repair it and it made me very happy. So, uh, thank goodness for the internet because I I have the basics of air conditioning, uh, technology in my head here, but without a video on the internet. So, uh, you know, bought a can of coolant, did some diagnostics, uh, you know, fiddled with some switches and some contacts and stuff. And because Dave, you know, we're going to be traveling soon and I want you to have the utmost of comfort when you're in my Saturn That's traveling right. from uh, here up to, because uh, no doubt it's going to be, uh, it's, it's going to be hot or warm uh, when you and I go up to, uh, you know, fly out for, uh, for this
0: upcoming event. For Mac stock and, uh, and Barry's uh, Mac barbecue. That's right. I talked about right. that. I, I right. would
2: almost say in June, I'd be almost certain that it's going to be hitting the eighties, nineties, maybe
0: hundreds in Connecticut. Let's so, hope uh, not. Uh, yeah, good. Yeah, that's, um, that's sort of toward the end of my, my travels here. I've got, I'm going, I I just got back from, from Disney as I, as, as I alluded, uh, and anybody who watched my Twitter or Facebook stream saw the, all the pictures that I was working hard at posting while we were having fun there. And then, uh, I don't know, I've got a couple of things coming up. WWDC, that trip, uh, (sighs) um, something else too. I've got something in the middle there. Ah, I forget. But I've got all kinds of trips, I don't know something so so it was okay so
2: in Orlando is it, is it is it, you, were you sweltering or was it was it a okay it,
0: it was it, the weather was great actually it was in the kind of low to mid 80s most days mm. um which was which was totally fine yeah we had a we had a we had good weather. Uh, It rained one morning, but it was the morning we decided to kind of be lazy and and hang out a little bit at the hotel. And at one moment, while I think, you know, one of us was showering. I looked out the window and I was like, oh, there's the rain. So, yeah, we did. We did well. We had a good we had a really good time, actually. My son's uh, middle school jazz band played down at downtown Disney. And so we followed him and the band down and watched him play. Yeah, I um. so that, you know, as, as always, when I travel uh there there are things that I come back and and think about and I have I have 3 things on my list from from this wow. trip that Yeah, well they'll be quick. Number 1 uh when traveling especially, you know, to somewhere where we might be outside in the rain or uh you know, might be around pools and that sort of thing, I always worry about my iPhone, right? Because uh you know, I don't want the thing to get wet. And so before I left on this trip, both uh, actually, all, all of us put uh, CDO OBEX cases. I think I'm pronouncing the, the, the company's name right. S-E-I-D-I-O. Uh, their OBEX cases are iPhone cases that are waterproof. And, you know, they go on so easily. I've dealt with other waterproof cases in the past for the phone's and yes, if you really truly if you intend to submerge your phone, you should do a leak test absolutely every time before you put the the case on just to make sure something hasn't happened to the case and it it hasn't been pierced or or something. But um but it, the 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 um the installation process of this case is cake. I mean, it takes all of about 4 seconds to put this case on the phone and do it right. And I've dealt with other ones before that just I don't know, it's a big disaster and you you're losing like the little plugs and stuff that you need for the uh for the you know the headphone jack and for the the uh charger jack and all of that. Whereas these are just built into the case. The case it just fits well together and everything just works and it it stays pretty slim uh considering that you know it's waterproof. And I did I brought it down one morning uh I woke up before the family and went down to the hot tub uh outside. And I brought my phone with me and, uh, wound up, my son woke up, uh, of course he was with his school group, but he texted me. And so he and I texted back and forth and it was kind of nice being able to sit in the hot tub and text back and forth. I didn't submerge the phone, but you know, being able to be, being comfortable holding it, uh, above the surface of the water, knowing that if something happened and I slipped the, the phone's going to be fine. So that's, that's number one, the CDO OBEX case, uh, really, really well done. waterproof okay. case. Cool. Yeah. Yep. To
2: to chip in there. Um. So I have. Uh. So for one of my devices, I do have a. Uh, uh, but like you. Uh. So it it uh claims to be a waterproof case, and and I trust them. But it's the uh from LifeProof, the uh, the nude. Yeah. And they uh, they gave me one for uh, for my my iPad.
0: Have you installed that thing on there?
2: Yeah. Yes, I have. Okay. Those yeah, nude- I installed it and I and I trust that it um it I, I have not like you I, I have not actually intentionally submerged my iPad but looking at the construction <laughs> uh, I, I, I trust that it will.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I have submerged I have submerged my phone in this case. Okay. Um and and, and I've used life proof cases in the past. That the nude cases scare the life out of me because there's nothing really? protecting the screen. Yeah. It's the only thing protecting the screen is a rubber gasket around the edge of the screen. So the screen itself actually gets wet, which I grok. It makes sense. But what it means is that pressure is the only thing sealing water out from yeah. from seeping around. I just that, no, I get you. That scares me. You know, if you, if you get if you have any kind of running water, I for example, I have a, a wristwatch that is um, I don't know. It's rated to like 100 meters, Right. Mm-hmm. And it's a dive watch. Uh, I fell. I was on one of those surf simulators on like a cruise ship at one point. It, so the water's coming at you at like 35 knots or something. And I fell down and hit the watch and the water uh, shot right in the crown at that moment. And and then if, because the pressure of the water, you know, coming at you is really strong And even though I wasn't underwater at all, it was just enough pressure and it got in. And so I worry about that kind of thing happening with those nude cases. Um, And I have no evidence to to back up this this concern. But it is my concern that if if something happens and there's any kind of pressure applied on on, you know, that rim of that case, I, I wouldn't be comfortable with it. And maybe it'd be fine. I'm sure they've tested it. Uh, but, but I, you know, no, I get you. No, no, the same the thing. It was disconcerting those, to me. The installation of those is not simple on the, uh, on the phones that I've found. I, I like I said, I've been really happy. I've tried a lot of them, including the life proofs mm. and the CDO case blows them all away in terms of ease of installation. Okay. Cause that's what I want. I, I'm not, I'm not someone who's going to bring my, my phone, you know, five to 10 feet underwater to, you know, take pictures and all of that stuff. I just want to put it in a case that I know that if I drop it and it happens to go underwater or it gets rained on, I'm good. And because of that, I just don't like the the procedure I have to go through with a lot of these cases. And that's what I like about the CDO. So, but I'm open to trying others. I mean, I'm sure life okay. people get
2: no, it. No, I'm it. with you too. That, that concerned me as well. But the thing is the, the screen itself is waterproof. Yes. Right? I mean, it's, oh. it's glass. It is. <laughs> yeah. The, so the you shouldn't it? be concerned about water touching water touching only uh, the screen on either your iPad or your iPhone or pretty much any device. Uh, But, but no, I understand what you're saying is that you better trust that the seal between the screen and the case is airtight or watertight, watertight.
0: Yeah. Well, and the other (laughs) problem is I like to put a glass shield over my, uh, over my, my screen. Right. Well, and with the nude case, your screen is 100% exposed because it, the tolerance has to be built to exacting specifications, mm-hmm. right, and therefore, um, you can't have any of these shields on. Whereas in this CDO case, we were all four of us were able to put them in uh, mm-hmm. with the shields on. Now, I don't think that's a a something that CDO necessarily would support, and I would understand that because the case, you know, the, the shield didn't come from them. But I I didn't have to rip the thing off of my phone. And the nice part is while I'm traveling. The, the screen is still protected by the, you know, by the glass shield and the CDO thing. And so, I, you know, that's like I said, I've been through a lot of these. This is the easiest one I've I've ever been through. So that's that's number one. Hmm. Um, number two is is something that makes me a little sad because of how happy I am with it. And the fact that it doesn't exist anymore. Um, years ago, I got a case logic. They made a lightweight uh rolling upright bag, like a, a, um, you know, a bag that would fit in a carry on bin. And I've used that thing on almost every trip I've done for the last probably four or five years. And it still holds up. It looks like it's brand new. And, uh, and it fits way more stuff than any roller carry on that I've ever had. Uh, it was the LLR two, two, two from case logic, but it doesn't exist anymore. In fact, they don't make anything like it. they they've completely stopped making them. So, uh, I'm sad that it, that when it finally does, you know, expire, I'm not sure what I would buy next, but, uh, but that bag has been a lifesaver for me. So I mention it, perhaps you out there have your own favorite and I would love to, uh, I'd love to hear about it because someday I'm going to need one too. So we might as well tell everybody about it. And lastly, John, the Apple watch, I wore it the whole time. The, the biggest thing, the biggest, my biggest takeaway is uh, after using it for four very long days at Disney world, I no longer uh, feel the need to have the battery life or the battery remaining battery percentage listed uh, as one of the complications on the face. You know, I, I don't need to dedicate a spot to telling me what my battery life is it because Even on the busiest day, I think maybe when we got back to the hotel, I was at like 40%. And that was a lot of texting, a lot of notifications, a lot of dictation to it. Um, It just, you know, the battery life on this thing has been fantastic for me. So, uh, and, and I, you know, I think I mentioned, you know, I published that article before we went away that the trick to the Apple Watch is being, a ruthless gatekeeper in terms of what apps you let be installed on there and what glances you uh, enable on there really make sure, really make sure that the things you have on there are things that you are actually going to use. Because here's the thing, it's not like your iPhone where you might have to, you know, stash an app away because, Oh, I don't want to have to download it, you know, over the air Uh, three months from now, when I go to actually use it, you know, with the, with, with the the iPhone, that can be a valid argument. It's probably wrong anyway, but it can be a valid argument. Whereas with the watch, the watch is an accessory to your iPhone. If you have your iPhone nearby, that's all you need to be able to load an app from your iPhone to the watch. And it's as easy as you flip a switch and it goes. So be really ruthless with what you let stay on the watch. And I think it, it'll work really, really well for you. And it, that certainly worked out for me. Texting from it was fantastic. Uh, you know, I'd get a text from somebody and I could just tap it and, and speak my reply with Apple dictation. And it, you know, in most cases it got it hundred percent right the first time around. So that part of the watch was great. Disney world for anybody going there has uh, little NFC terminals at every checkout uh, they're there because Disney has been using these things called magic bands to replace their, their tickets. And you can build, you know, you can you, like in, instead of the passes, you know, instead of the little cards, you use these magic bands and they're all on FC and it's, oh,
2: I understand. Yeah. No, I was chuckling at a, a,
0: a situation
2: that you relayed with one of the uh, pavilions in the uh, Epcot, I believe.
0: Well, there were, yeah, I, I, I ran into a couple <laughs> of interesting things with these. So it didn't take me long to realize that every single one of these terminals would work with Apple pay either with the watch or the phone. It doesn't matter. Um, But it was up to the cashier. Normally when, when used with a Disney magic band, it's in debit card mode and you have to use a pin and they all know how to put them into debit mode. Most of them know how to put it into credit card mode, which is the mode it needs to be in to then use Apple pay. Um, Some of them don't know how to do that, but could be convinced to do so because it's just a button they hit on their screen And then a small percentage of them were completely convinced that Apple pay definitely wouldn't work with this thing. And I should stop wasting their time. uh, Even though again, I knew full well that this would work. And then as you alluded, John, I I told the story on Facebook uh, and I, and on Twitter at, at one place at the Japan pavilion in Epcot, I used Apple pay to, to pay for something. And then we kind of were still poking around and the cashier was like, Oh, it works. That's great. Yep. We love it. And, uh, and then I came back around and a different cashier was there and, uh, I went to use Apple pay cause we wanted to get one more thing and they're like, Oh no, 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 Apple pay. And she like put her hand between my watch and the terminal. Uh, it, it was like, as like, if
2: that would block the RF. Well, it,
0: w- it totally would. No, it would. Really? We, yeah. With, oh, short. Okay. Short range. Yeah. yeah with okay. NFC, you have to, but I had already activated it. It was like there, all I needed to do was press the button on the, on the thing and it would have done it. But, um, yeah, with Apple pay on the watch, you really might, what I've found is you turn the watch over face down and like shove it at the terminal and, and then it works Mm. fine every time. But, um, yeah, this woman's like, Oh no, 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 no. And we we don't take it. And, And the other woman that had helped me came up and she said, no, 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 it works great. He just did it. And they, and the other one looked at him, looked at her with, with like, you know, fire in her eyes. She's like, Oh no, the manager says he doesn't like it. This is terrible. You know, it's like, what don't you like? I would Uh love to know the answer to this.
2: Yeah. She's like, Uh, it could be the transaction fee
0: taking Apple pay versus others. At the moment there is the fee is absorbed by uh, the credit card processor. Yeah, Yeah. So it's not being passed along to the merchant's, yet that will change right i mean it changed yeah. with rewards cards and all of that but but at the moment there is no additional fee so i don't know oh, i mean there's less fraud right because it's it's your unique number and all of that stuff so i'm not sure what the um what the what the restriction was but this one woman was like you know please no i'm gonna lose my job if i take apple pay uh, i was like whoa what? So I gave her my That's card. Ridiculous. It was, You know, I mean, it wasn't worth a battle, but it was just this bizarre because it was the very same terminal. I mean, nothing was different other than two different cashiers. Uh, but, you know, the um, the watch worked well. I used it at TSA. Uh, no problem to, you know, for my boarding pass. Right. Now,
2: didn't you say you had a, a problem? And I think I, I, I'm pretty sure I understand the problem here. So.
0: Well, let me tell you, let me, let me explain,
2: but you present a barcode at the, uh, go go ahead and then I'll, I'll get, yeah. So,
0: I mean, just like you would with your, with your phone, you get the boarding, the mobile boarding pass and it has a barcode and the watch is smart about this. You get it in passbook on your watch and it shows up in notifications and it's ever present on the day of travel, just like it is on the phone. So it's, it's right where you need it. You tap your boarding pass and once you scroll down to where the barcode is, it zooms in on the barcode brings the watch to full brightness and leaves it there. So it, it, it stays, it The watch doesn't go to sleep or anything like that. So that part works great. And with TSA, uh, their sensor is you put your phone down on it. And so it worked great. I put my watch face down, gave the guy my ID and you know, boom, it worked. No problem. Uh, we flew Delta and Delta's readers are top down readers and they are built to focus on a boarding pass that is on kind of on the, on the bottom surface of this thing. So there's a sensor on the top and the boarding pass is on the bottom. I put my watch in there and at my wrist fit with the watch, but the focal point was, you know, obviously an inch or two, I guess probably two inches up off of what would be the bottom of this thing. And it would not focus. And the woman said, yeah, typically it doesn't work here. And I heard many people on, on, uh, on Twitter once I posted about this, that yeah, there's, you know, there's issues. Some, some of these readers, people couldn't even fit their wrists in. And of course the woman said, if you want to take your watch off, it probably would work. But at that point, then you have to undo the passcode. And it was like, you know what, here's my phone. We're good to go. It's because again, if you're using the watch, your phone is never far away. So
2: yeah. 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 No, I'm with you. The thing is almost all anything that scans a barcode these days. So the old technology was, you would have a laser that would bounce off of a a paper document and then uh, reflect and, uh, and yeah, it it worked great. You know, you, you could still see those in a lot of places, but the newer technology, as you pointed out, Dave is a camera. It's actually, it's a little camera, you know, captures an image. And if it's not, Again, as you pointed out, set up right, you know, focal distance and and, and all that stuff here, then it's not going to capture the barcode and it's it's going to fail. So that's right. You know, they'll refine it. The only thing I'll say is that as of late, I've run into the same thing too, Dave. So I have one one of my car, payment cards right now, my MasterCard, actually is a chip card, and I've run into something similar in that I've gone to vendors. So more and more vendors now have terminals that will accept a chip card, and I went to one actually. So a number of them I go to. Um actually the terminal just doesn't acknowledge the fact that there's a chip card in it. Interesting. Another one actually was an issue of training in that I went there and it was the the boss was trying to run it and he's like, Oh no, first I got to scan the mag stripe and then I got to put the chip in and then I got to press. And and then when the the next time I went there and I was talking to one of the cashiers who was a bit more tech savvy, she's like, Oh no, he he just kind of misunderstood. She's like, yeah, just, just put your card in there. Ah. (laughs) And it was like chip card detected. No problem. And I think that's it because I'm like, what's the point of having a chip card if you got to scan the mag stripe? Because they're moving away from that. Eventually, I think all our cards are not going to have mag stripes, right? Maybe not immediately, but I would think within five to 10 years in in the USA, Dave. That's right. We will not have mag stripes anymore.
0: I doubt it. So the problem with that uh, briefly, and the reason we're Mm. going to chip and sign and not chip and pin is that Uh, we will have the chips on all of our cards. And if we go somewhere where we can program a pin, then our cards will work with chip and pin. The problem is the ATMs in America do not support pin programming on those chips. And it would require a hardware upgrade or replacement of, you know, a significant number of a significant enough number of them uh, so that we could then have a reasonable chance of being able to program our pins because they can't do it where they send you the pin in the mail. The whole procedure is you have to program the pin yourself. And and so that's why we don't have chip and pin coming this year. We have chip and sign coming this year. But uh, so I don't think it's going to happen in maybe 10 years. We'll have replaced all the ATM uh, readers and write and therefore writers. Uh, I'm not convinced of it. I think we'll be chipping sign for a while. Hey, I want to uh, talk about our first sponsor for this show, John, which is OWC, Otherworld Computing at MacSales.com. These folks have been making quality parts, hardware, accessories, RAM, hard drives for literally decades. We've been doing this a long time. We're about to hit 10 years here. That's nothing compared to what they've been doing. They were a staple the day Mac Geek Gab started. And I'm really proud to have them on board as a sponsor. You know, they started their company making RAM uh, and and really selling quality RAM. They test all this stuff. They were the first ones really to kind of figure out what RAM actually works in Apple products as opposed to what Apple says will work. What Apple says will work is always right but sometimes you can fit more. In fact, a lot of times you can fit more and the folks at OWC do all that testing and they will tell you what's going to work. They know that their Ram is, uh, is supported. They give a lifetime warranty and all that stuff. And that's just Ram. That's where they started. They have expanded miles beyond that. They still sell Ram and they sell it for a good price. Uh, But you know, they have SSDs, they have enclosures, hard drives, they have their own labs so that uh when they get this stuff when they're building it and also if they happen to get a return they really they sit there and go through this stuff themselves they don't outsource any of that stuff they dig right in they're geeks right i mean they're super geeks larry o'connor is the you know the founder of the company the the ceo and i've had i've known larry for decades uh he is like us he is a geek He's a really good businessman too, uh, but he's a geek and he totally still to this day. I saw him just, uh, what about a month ago? Uh, it, you start talking to him about a product and he's into every nook and cranny and detail of that product. One of the the new things is the, uh, the Envoy pro mini little flash drive sized, but uh, much uh, but capability wise at enterprise level SSD that plugs right into your USB port. Uh, beautiful little elegant product and really, really interesting to, uh, to see them doing this. It, it, it honestly looks like a flash drive until you hold the thing. And then you're like, Oh yeah, this is a hefty little thing plugs right into the USB port enterprise grade SSD right inside the, uh, the small enclosure there. They, uh, they also are the ones, they have this Thunderbolt two dock five USB ports on the thing, HDMI gigabit ethernet, beautiful beautiful dock, and uh and that's that's now i think 10 bucks uh it's 10 bucks less and shipping immediately 239 uh they've got uh, lastly they are doing a contest a video contest to uh you submit a video and the grand prize they've got a couple of different prizes i think but uh, the grand prize is a monster video production package that starts with a mac pro six core machine and a 4k monitor and all kinds of other stuff, including a thunderbolt 2 dock and all kinds of other things that you could possibly more than you could possibly imagine a two terabyte SSD, a 16 terabyte raid unit, all kinds of great stuff and a GoPro. So you got to check that out. We'll put a link to that in the, uh, in the show notes too. That's the, the OWC video contest the Dream Video Workstation contest. So you got to check these guys out. They really are they they know what they're doing. They're geeks like us and they are stand-up people over there at OWC. Uh you're not you're never going to be steered wrong by them. So check them out macsales.com. Let them know we sent you. We'd appreciate it. They'd appreciate it too. And uh that's it. macsales.com. And with that, we have uh we have an interesting question from uh from Lee, I believe, and we will dive right in as soon as i as soon as I find it I got to get into our new workflow here. John Lee writes, "I have a Mac with an SSD that is hemorrhaging free space for no reason I can identify. I've described the specifics and <laughs> Lee sent us this was a first almost ten years doing this we got a Keynote file. I think this was about a ten-page keynote presentation that Lee built just for us to show screenshots of and explain uh, his problem. It was awesome. Keynote. What? What's keynote, Dave? Keynote. That's the presentation software that Apple makes. Man, it's awesome. Okay. Some people may not know that. Oh yeah, I guess that's probably. Just let him present that. So so he.
2: But he lovingly handcrafted a presentation to demonstrate his problem to us. And thank you so much
0: for yeah, so he taking the time to do that because we need evidence. We we need pictures. We need audio. We need text. Whatever you got for us. I'll be honest. I, you know, I was going through this today. I got back last night from Disney. I was going through the, uh, you know, the piles and piles and I made it through everything. But I saw Lee's thing and I saw the, the keynote in there and thought, oh, I don't have time for this. And then I thought, you know what? I do have time. It's the first keynote we've ever gotten. I'm going to take the time. So had you been, had you done this, you know, had it been the 15th one we've gotten, I might have skipped it only for today and come back to it and we would have gotten to this next week. But, uh, you know, it, cause it was, it was a bit, a bit long winded, but that's okay because it explained the problem. And the problem is, uh, Lee is running, uh, Daisy disc which is a great utility to show you graphically where your space on your drive is being taken up. And the thing is Daisy disc is not showing that this space is gone. Daisy disc is showing that there are you know hundreds of gigabytes or at least tens of gigabytes left. And, uh, and yet the free space calculation that the finder shows is dwindling. In fact, Lee said, I think it, it went down by a gigabyte in the time it took to make the keynote presentation. So, so there's a problem here. With that in mind, uh, Lee sent this along. And it was a beautiful keynote. Um, my guess is that the file, that there are legitimate files filling up your drive, Lee. And I believe that they are owned by and only readable by the root or admin user and therefore not visible when you run Daisy Disk or really anything in your normal user account. DaisyDisk can only see what you can see and if there's a file that is not readable by you, uh, then Daisy Disk has to skip it. it. It just can't. It can't even acknowledge its existence, and that's, I believe, what's happening here. Uh, years ago, uh, Jim Tannis helped us write up a piece about how to recover missing hard drive space. Uh, In that we were using Omni disk sweeper from the Omni group, which is a great utility and probably the easier one to use. If you really want to dig in and find specific files, Uh, I like it better than Daisy disc. I don't know it, you know, to each their own, but we've got an article that shows you how to run Omni disk sweeper as the root user with full permissions to see the entire system. And I guarantee you, Lee, that you will see and find what it is that's, uh, that's eating up all your space. It's probably some log file or a cache file or something that's just being dumped to mm-hmm. and only, only visible to the root user. So we'll put that link in the show notes too.
2: Good. Yeah. Because, you know, I got to say, Dave, it, it backs up our ongoing theme that sometime your computer lies to you. Yes. Not intentionally, but it does what you ask it to and and even if you don't know what
0: you're asking that's right (laughs)
2: well in this case if you don't know that you're asking for a utility to look at free space without accounting for things that belong to the super duper user or pseudo yep uh uh, and you know i found that too i've been running various things as of late and, and we may get into it in a little detail a little later but pseudo is very important to run certain commands because you will see a whole different world because the system i think in well yeah intentionally hides things from you because you may not i don't know i, I don't know if you don't need to know them but the thing is that you know there's certain privileged information that maybe you shouldn't know about <laughs> unless well, you know the root password right it, because no so i've mean,
0: seen this yeah it's not so much that you shouldn't know about it it's more that uh, those things that are owned by root are protected from you deleting them. And as Michael King in the, uh, in the chat room points out, it could be that these are virtual memory swap files, which could mean that you've got something just eating up Ram and it might even be like Safari, uh. but those are very intentionally not deletable by the normal user, because if you delete those while the system is running, you are doomed. It, it, it as an aside, uh, I guess this show is going to be full of tangents and geeky little things. Uh, most Unixes require you to create Unixes. Unixes. I, I I call them Unixes, but you might be right with Unixes. Um, <laughs> most Unixes require you to partition your drive. Where you have a data partition, maybe even a a separate applications partition, a bin partition, and then, uh, but certainly a separate swap partition. That's where you set up the virtual memory storage space. Well, when we upgraded a long time ago from OS 9 to OS 10, Apple wanted to create a way for that upgrade to happen seamlessly. And repartitioning the hard drive on the fly at that point was even now not something that is going to be a guaranteed slam dunk for the user to sit through. So they use uh, they created a thing called dynamic pager used a thing. I don't know if they created it or not, but it's a little system process that runs and creates swap files on OS 10 on your main partition. So you can run this Unix with just one partition and when it needs more swap space, it goes and grabs it. Uh, and it does it in chunks. Uh, you know, it, it it depends on the version of the OS that you have, but it starts with small chunks and then just gets bigger and bigger. Um, those files should never be touched. Really, they need to be treated like they're a separate partition that you, the user, can't just go and muck about with. But it's not a separate partition. It's on your hard drive. And therefore, they need to be protected. So that's... Um, that, that's sure. why. that's no, I'm just one it. example of something. You know that.
2: No, I that get that. that now, no, I just got to. Go. You know, I'm just reminded of the fact here. So, so you did mention the chat room here. Now, now you got to remember, Dave, that that um, you know, listeners don't see what you see. so
0: dot slash stream is where you find the chat room, folks. I, I'm Thank so you. glad I could
2: chastise you for that's right something that you've chastised me for <laughs> in the past. But we love our chat room because they they make the show interactive. They make it fun yeah. and interesting and uh um yeah so um, good. again i just want to remind you of that
0: day no that you yeah know, you're not, not, right. not
2: all the listeners and uh, we assume that sometimes because you know we have all these things at our disposal that that you don't as a, a mere not a mere listener but if you want to be more than a mere or not mere listener then then you want to come to our chat room which is
0: at mackey.com yeah. stream <laughs> all right so hopefully that'll solve it for you lee and thanks for the keynote Good stuff. All right. Let's uh, let's hear from Dave and see what Dave has to ask.
1: Hello, John and Dave, my friends. It's Dave Cook from pollen-laden Socrates in Ulster County, New York. Oh, no. Um, I have a very quick question. And I know that you guys have gone over this stuff a billion times, but you will probably continue to go over it as since it's an ongoing um, question for many people, I think, and I'm, of course I could figure it out on my own, but I rely on you guys to help me cut to the chase. Um, three computers in the house that need a uh, time machine backup. I have always done mine, uh, you know, just by plugging in a drive when I know I need to back up because I'm on the road a lot, as you know, and, um, I didn't want to rely on just, uh, wireless automatic backup for me. My wife's MacBook Air, I have done that. Um, she got it. It's been backing up wirelessly. However, for because her drive crapped um, out uh, a while back and I had to rebuild it, uh, it kind of messed up my whole backup scheme, so I stopped that. So now that's also a manual backup. And my 13-year-old daughter, almost 13, I can't believe I just said 13, uh, just got her new 13-inch MacBook Pro, which is very sweet computer, um, and I would like to get her definitely uh, wirelessly backing up, automatic, of course. Um, anyway, the question is, what is the best solution to do all of us? Because uh, I'm I'm home more these days, and uh, I would uh, I prefer to um, just have my um, have my time machine on our local network. Backing up wirelessly, and then I just will update my um carbon copy uh clone my bootable clone all
0: right thats uh I think that gives us enough so um and Dave goes on to suggest a couple of things does he need does he need a nas drive does he need what does he need? If you want one destination for time machine, nas in some capacity is what you're gonna use. it just makes it simpler. Um, NAS being network attached storage uh, that can be done in a couple of different ways. You you can do it from your Mac. You can hang a hard drive off your Mac and have other Macs back up to that drive over the network. That's network attached storage sort of in a basic uh, I don't want to say kludge together way, because it's not kludge together. It's absolutely supported by Apple. You don't need to do anything funky to make that work.
2: Really? Just, Wait, yeah. so you, are you saying that I could plug a hard drive into my Mac and then share it with, with others as a time machine destination?
0: Absolutely. It works great. It's totally well, supported where, by where, the where would I Where would I go to do that? Hmm. You want to tell us? What do you want me to tell you? Well... It's uh, it, yeah. It's I was a, kind of setting you up, but yeah. Go to <laughs> go. go to go to System Preferences, Sharing. Uh, turn on file sharing there, and uh, and share the drive. That's. I mean, I think that's that's all you got to do, and and then it works. Uh, so that that's step one. A time capsule is probably the the in terms of a storage device, the dumbest NAS that you can get. But it works for this uh, time machine is sort of it's built to work over the network, but not in a smart way. But it does. It works. And it's certainly easy. Um, so a, a time capsule will do this in a very, very simple way. There's no additional setup you have to do. Just get a time capsule and go from there. Um, you know, you, there is it, there is a way to take an airport Extreme. And kind of turn that into a time capsule if you hang a drive off of it. And then one of the other options Dave suggested later in his comment was, you know, should he get something like a Synology, like a disk station, uh, some sort of, you know, smarter, more full featured NAS and do it that way. And yeah, I mean, that's what I do here. I have my Synology. I actually hang a drive off of that that I back up to. And the nice part about that is my computer doesn't have to be, I don't need a given computer or a given Mac, I should say awake to be the destination, which you would have to do if you were going to do the sharing thing, um, you know, or, or perhaps it'll wake up with bunge or sleep proxy. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Um, but uh, you know, the nice part about a, a synology is it's uh, it's awake all the time on your network and, and it works very, very yep. well.
2: And, and I do believe, Dave, that if you have a Mac that is not set up for Time Machine and you plug in an external hard drive, I do believe that even with the, uh, the though I haven't seen it happen as of late because I'm already set up for Time Machine in multiple ways, mm-hmm. um, the Mac will come up and say, hey, I noticed you haven't set this up, dude. Um, you want to use this drive for, for Time Machine? And you can be like, yeah, sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Oh yeah, so, yeah. So your, so
2: kudos to Apple that they if if they see that you're not set up for Time Machine and this should be a part of any operating system, they should be like, dude, you're not doing backups. That that's really bad. Um,
0: yeah, you plugged in a new drive. Let's use it for that. How about that? Yeah. Uh, no, I and love then, that part though. And then that drive is usable by other Macs on your network if you if you turn on sharing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It, it, So, so yeah, the answer Dave is yes. What would I do? I do it with a disc station. And I think if I'm not mistaken, Dave, you have a disc station. Uh, I believe you're, you, 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 you drink the Synology Kool-Aid like we do. So, um, so that's probably the best way to go is, is just either use the storage space you have on there. Or if you don't want to use your sort of more valuable, RAID protected storage space inside the disks, the disk station. If it's got a USB port on it, you can hang a drive off of it and just go straight to that. And it works great. And it's great.
2: And at least in my case, Dave, without, without giving a disk station tutorial, but I actually have mine set up and I think I, uh, I just want to ask you. So I actually have it set up where I have two separate users. So I have one user called, mac mini backup and another called macbook pro backup or no i think it's yeah. mac mini time machine backup and so i have separate accounts set up for each one because it does allow you to do that so it, it well, can get a bit it, squirrely in that i don't think you want to lump all of your time machine stuff into a single user if you have multiple computers on the on the disk station but
0: so that they, here is the problem with time machine is that it Mm. will take up all of the storage space. You let it see that that's the problem with it. And and if you start pointing multiple computers, that that space can get eaten up very, very quickly Um, with a Synology. I think what you're talking about, John is you've created separate users and then enabled size or space quotas with those users (laughs) so that they can't take up more than whatever space you've shown to them. The issue with that on Synology is it only works with the internal volume. Quotas don't currently work on external volumes if you hang one off of it. It's something that Synology may fix in the future. I've talked to them about this. So in my case, I do have all those users set up. I have them set up with quotas. The quotas are not applied to this USB drive that I have hanging off of it. So there you go. Okay. Yeah.
2: All right. Because Dro- Dro- I think Drobo- what I did... Go ahead. Uh, so what i did on the synology is i believe as a general guideline when i set up a time machine volume i set it up to be about twice the size of the hard drive that i'm backing up from because yeah. of course time machine um creates multiple iterations you know because duh it goes back in time as the name implies so so i'm i'm uh, so my guideline dave is i'll set aside twice the space of the internal hard drive for my time machine space. It'll eventually fill up at which point I think usually once it gets full, then I think usually what I do is I wipe it and start from scratch again.
0: Yeah. Well, it'll, it'll fix itself. I mean, it'll expire old files and all that stuff.
2: Oh, no, I know it will, but at that point, then from what uh, my observation, Dave, maybe they fix it, but then time machine starts to get efficient, but uh, inefficient in that it's like, oh, uh, I'm full. I got to expire all this stuff. And then it starts taking, Yes. in my humble opinion, way too long to get its job done, at which point I'm like, okay, unless I need something in my time machine history, let's just start from scratch and delete it and start start anew. But that, yeah. that's just my practice.
0: Yep. No, you're totally right. You're totally right. Um, and as, as Brian Monroe in the chat room points out ready NAS from um, uh, from Netgear and the drobos, they all have their own ways of uh, the drobo Nas's. is so like the five N they all have their own ways of, of allowing you to partition uh, network time machine backups in this kind of, you know, quota way so that you, it doesn't take over all of the storage you have. So uh, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. I, hopefully that answers your question, Dave. If it doesn't, you know, let us know. I think you, oh, uh, uh, you aren't in the chat room anymore. So we don't, we won't get to hear from Dave mm-hmm. right away. We won't get real time feedback from him, but that's okay. I do want to talk about Linda at lynda.com. That is uh, our second sponsor for the show. These folks do amazing things, John. Uh, they work with some of the, they work with the experts in any and pretty much every field uh, to ensure that they make training videos that are actually going to teach you something. Um, they, these folks do amazing jobs. These are not hacked together little videos that you're going to find floating around on the internet. These are highly produced, really put well put together courses. I mean, it starts with the with the content, right? And then the, the quality of the delivery It's top notch across the board. You know, LinkedIn bought Linda recently for some uh, seemingly obscene amount of money, but it's not obscene. It's worth (laughs) it. No, it's seriously, this is the future of education here. And, uh, you know, so you go to Linda, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash M-G-G. That gets you 10 free days. Uh, and by going to the slash MGG part, it lets them know that we sent you there and, and, and we appreciate that. They appreciate it too, to be honest. They like to know, um, how their advertising works and all of that good stuff. But you go there, you get 10 free days. You can watch anything you want and take any course you want for those 10 days. If you want, that's 240 hours. Now, you know, if you don't sleep for 10 days, I don't know what your retention's going to be, but, uh, but you know, you can do it if you want. And if you do it, tell us about it. Cause that's actually going to be an interesting thing. I don't, I, I'm not encouraging that though. I don't think it's healthy, uh, but uh, they put together these great videos and it's, and and then after the, the, the 10, free days, it's 25 bucks a month. This is not an expensive proposition. And we have people that have changed. We have listeners just like you that have changed their career paths or their careers entirely because of what they've been able to learn with Linda, and the nice part is you know you get these really high quality courses from super high quality teachers, and you get to watch them at your own pace. I mean it's like being able to have a be in a classroom and hit the pause button on the professor. That's a beautiful thing. That doesn't you know that doesn't happen <laughs> in a classroom. but it it you know sometimes you want that. you want to, or you want to say, "Hey, whoa, whoa whoa, go back over that again. No problem. You rewind, right? And if you find that you're wanting the professor to pause a lot, well, you tell Linda that, say, Hey, stop at the end of each chapter. Let me absorb, let me play a little bit. And depending on your course, that might be the right thing. You know, I took, I've taken business accounting courses in this on those, uh, just blaze through. There's probably not a lot that I'm going to, you know, play with, but Taking like an HTML course or a JavaScript course, yeah, I want to play. Or you know, like was mentioned recently, the the one password course or the last pass course, I want to play. And and there's a pause button there for that reason. You hit pause, you go play. Okay, great. Ah, I get the concept now. I come back. This is a better way to learn. It really, truly is. I encourage you to try it. And that's the thing is we're bringing you a free way to do so. Linda L Y N D A dot com slash M G G gets you that free way to try it out. Try it out. Let us know what you've learned from Linda and we'll share it here and we'll go from there together. And again, it's you know it's 10 free days and then it's 25 bucks a month. That's where this starts. It's not expensive. Compare that to any course you're gonna take. I don't care if it's one course or an entire semester at college, nothing's gonna be 25 bucks a month. It's just not gonna happen. You gotta check it out. L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash M-G-G. All right, John. Uh, you, uh, I want to go to Robert here and then we'll, and then we'll jump, uh, we'll jump back to, oh, to Bruce. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to, I want to, I want to make sure we get this one in and we're kind of moving slowly here today, um, but that's okay. Robert, well, we're, it's not that we're moving slowly. We're moving slowly through our agenda. We're dumping a lot of information at you. It's just not in the order we yes. planned. Yeah. <laughs> So (laughs) Robert writes, uh, I am a Mac convert after a long stint in the PC world. Uh, I started with the iPad one when it first came out, added an iPhone. And finally this past summer got a Mac mini, uh, and now have a sweet iMac retina 5k. My question is about USB three and hubs right now. My Mac mini is my workhorse machine. It's running Indigo home automation, productivity apps, and Xcode. The iMac 5K is for the wife and is strategically located in the kitchen. But I use it to remote over to the Mac Mini, which is in my home office, using iRap. So there's a free cool stuff found for you, folks. That's one of two that that our friend uh, Robert here is going to share with us. I-R-A-P-P. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's a very interesting remote control, remote desktop kind of thing that uh, I believe goes cross-platform. So we will put that in the show notes. Uh, Robert says I've run out of USB ports on the Mac mini. The four ports are used for uh, Insteon automation, a USB modem, an external hard drive and a Fujitsu scan snap document scanner. And the last port is manually multiplexed between an external uh, two gig drive for carbon copy, cloner weekly backups, iTunes backups of iPhone and iPad and an external CD burner. I would like a way to connect everything up and allow for even more devices. As you can tell from the list, I mostly need a variety of connection, not a lot of truly high-performance, constant-use peripherals. From my time working with PCs, years and years, primarily with USB 1 and 2, I have uh, earned a distrust of USB in general due to flaky drivers, unreliable hardware, etc., especially once USB hubs, passive or even powered, were introduced into the mix. With the Mac and USB 3, everything has been rock solid, so I want to tread carefully in expanding USB port capacity. I was looking at USB hubs suited for or designed for the Mac and read somewhere that most USB hubs are not compatible with the Mac Mini. Is this true? With that, I have tentatively decided on using a Thunderbolt dock since Thunderbolt technology seems very reliable, has high-speed throughput, and a Thunderbolt dock is clearly designed specifically for the Mac and will give me the additional USB ports along with some extras. That yeah, could be useful. I would uh, plan on keeping the additional hard drives and Insteon modem connected directly to the Mac and move other peripherals to the USB ports on the dock. So my question is, what are your thoughts on this? Are Thunderbolt docks a slam dunk with the Mac Mini? And he's using a late 2012 Mac Mini. Um, and I'm going to come back to Robert in a minute because I, I, I promised a second cool stuff found, but we'll answer his question first. So the um, uh, cutting to the chase... I have not had any recent issues with USB over uh, that that involve hubs. Um, USB hubs have been very reliable, especially with what Robert's talking about, where it's not uh, you know looking for massive bandwidth constantly from every device uh, because that's not really what USB is built for anyway. But from a variety of devices, and and I've found a bunch of hubs. Um, I've really there's one hub I really like, and simultaneously I hate it, and I'll tell you why. It's it's from a company called Satechi, S A T E C H I. Oh, I love their stuff. That has the blue LEDs. Yeah, it's
2: got. They're yeah, awesome. Blue I've LED- used their stuff on USB too. But go ahead, and then I have something to add because I found an article and some advice. But please okay. go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I just, so, I just I've used their stuff. I I I kind of like it.
0: Yeah, Satechi has this great. I have one. It's a um. It's a ten port hub. Seven of the ports are USB three and connect, you know, to the computer and all of that. It's a powered hub. The other three are charging only ports. Uh, So they, they pass no data. This can be really handy if you just want to charge your iPhone without it trying to, you know, connect to iTunes and all of that, or you have some other device that you don't care about connecting to your Mac that you want to power with USB. Um, This is great. And it's a really sexy looking hub. Uh, it, it's kind of, well, no, it's got the, um, take a look at the picture. I put it in the, Oh no, I told the, you like the they have notes. blue
2: LEDs and, and uh, no, I mean, it's, 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 it's
0: well designed. Yeah. This one, it kind of has the whole vibe of the, the Apple keyboard and the, the, the Apple, mm-hmm. uh, the magic Trackpad, except the ports for the USB cord that feeds mm-hmm. it. And the power that feed it are on either end of it. So you wind up with this really beautiful, gorgeous thing, And instead of the cables coming out the back of it, um, it, the cables come out the side and make it this, this huge unwieldy thing. Uh, but if you just tuck it behind your computer, it actually works just fine. And it, it really, really works well. I've had absolutely no problems with it and it's cheap. Uh, the Satechi one from their website and from Amazon is about 60 bucks for all 10 ports. You can buy one, uh, from Amazon though. And, It's a different brand name, but man, you compare the pictures and you tell me they're not the same thing. Um, It's called Senti and it's only 40 bucks. So you can, you can save some money. We'll put the links to, to both of them um, in the, in the show notes. That's my advice for you. uh, Robert would be to go with the USB hub, but there is nothing wrong with going Thunderbolt either and as you said thunderbolt gives you more more capabilities again depending on the dock that you use and we me mentioned the the owc one earlier uh in the ad for the show and this is actually why i don't look at what sponsors are in the show until after i've slotted all of the uh the content cuz i had the owc hub queued up to mention here uh i um i, I also have the cal digit the new cal digit thunderbolt 2 hub uh, on its way i haven't tested it yet but it i it, i have i have uh, good feelings about this, and so we'll talk more about that. But you know, like you said, you get extra audio in out. You get HDMI. You get an extra Ethernet port, uh, which may be your only Ethernet port if you are connecting to something like a uh, you know MacBook Air or something like that. So it 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 is. There is nothing wrong with going Thunderbolt. The US the uh, OWC one has five USB ports on it. Um, you know, so you you are going to get your expansion there. You are going to pay a little more because you're paying for all the extra stuff plus Thunderbolt, but Thunderbolt really is, you should look at it as an extension of the motherboard. So you are kind of one level deeper um, than you would be with a USB hub where you're taking USB and extending it out. But I think for what you're doing, either would solve your USB problem. And I don't think you're going to run into any issues with, with either. Uh, So that's, that's my, that's my thoughts, John, before I jump back to Robert here, you had something else to mention about satechi
2: well not so much that but but just usb3 in general in the mac dave yeah so you may be asking yourself does apple have a support article that tells you or advises you about usb3 and you know what dave they do and i already put it in our chat room here which we we, we will include in the lovingly handcrafted show notes but it's a support article from Apple called using USB three devices on Mac computers, FAQ, FAQ being frequently asked questions. And they do have uh, what I think is relevant. And then we'll move on a question saying, are USB three hubs supported? Now thing that makes me sad, Dave is when I click on that link in their support article, it says, "Huh." but if I look farther down in the article itself, the text of it actually says, well, yeah, if your USB device says it conforms to blah 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 blah, which I can't find right now because uh, the, the, there's a lot of things in this article. Sure, but basically, they're offering advice that if a device says it supports this standard, then yeah, it should be cool to provide the the amount of power because the thing is, Dave. Last I checked, one of the cool things about USB three is it provides it potentially provides way more juice than USB two or USB one. Sure. Um, to all your peripherals. That's one of the selling points of USB three. And so back to you.
0: Yeah, no, it, it, It. I think you're going to be fine either way. My guess is if you kind of look at the guts of one of these Thunderbolt um, uh, docks is it's a Thunderbolt, you know, extension with a USB hub in it. And in the OWC case, my guess is it's a five port USB hub. It might be a three port and a two port. I don't know. Right. But, but my guess is that nobody's reinventing the wheel here. You've got a USB hub. In fact, you have a USB hub in your Mac, right? Sometimes two, depending on how it's all, uh, all sorted out. Uh, while we're on the subject of USB hubs, we might as well address, uh a question that we had. We did not pose this question in the show, uh, mm-hmm. because I wanted to get the answer and we have the answer now. Uh, in fact, I asked the folks at CalDigit. I asked Costa over there, who is their product guru. Uh, I wanted, I, what I wanted to know was, you know, a lot of these Thunderbolt, do- did I say USB hubs? I want to talk about Thunderbolt docs, um, which is also okay. the subject we were on. Thank you. Uh, what I wanted to know was how a lot of these Thunderbolt docs have a uh, an additional video port. Uh, and some, most of them have another Thunderbolt port is the same port physically size-wise right. as, as wasn't, many, right. As many DVI. Wasn't that display port? Sorry. Mini display port. we kind of discussed
2: port. briefly. Yeah. When I got my shiny new machine here and I'm like, Oh, I have a Thunderbolt port, but I also have a mini display port and I actually got the wonderful Display Port to HDMI converter and it works great from Amazon. I was like, oh, I'm so sure. happy. But anyways, back no, to you. no, Sorry. no, no. That, that's <laughs> important.
0: No, that's it. Right. So you've got this this uh, Mini Display Port, uh, which can take over from Thunderbolt, and on a lot of these docks, you have an HDMI port. So my question, and a lot of people ask this question, is, well, wait a minute. If I get a Thunderbolt dock, can I add a monitor? to both the hdmi port and the additional thunderbolt port on the dock as a mini display port and run two monitors and the answer is no uh it's only possible to connect one hdmi monitor even if you use a mini display port to a second monitor you'd only be able to get one of them to work and this is the case with all thunderbolt docks on the market however you could connect one HDMI monitor to a Thunderbolt dock and one Thunderbolt display. There's a difference between a mini DisplayPort display and a Thunderbolt display, right? Um, Apple sells a Thunderbolt display and you can, you could connect that because it's doing Thunderbolt, not mini DisplayPort, even though it's the same connector, the two act very differently. So if you want to connect two monitors to a Thunderbolt dock, you have two options. One is, Uh, You can connect one to the uh, to the, you know, to the HDMI port. So that's number one. And then number two, you either connect a Thunderbolt monitor to the second Thunderbolt port, the pass through port, if you will, or you connect a second Thunderbolt dock to that port and then an HDMI monitor to the dock that hangs off of that. So you can do it, but only one monitor per Thunderbolt dock. And is and, and with that in mind, you have to treat a Thunderbolt monitor is having its own Thunderbolt dock inside it. I know it gets a little confusing, but that's how it works. So thank you to uh cost over at CalDigit for clearing that up as, as best we can explain it. Does that make sense, John? It's crazy. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I, I one, have not one, had one non Thunderbolt monitor per dock. How does that sound?
2: It sounds great. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I I have limited experience. They've, as you know, I only have one machine right now that has Thunderbolt and USB three, That's and right. I'm really not. So I'm definitely using the USB three part, uh, uh, probably primarily with the USB three enclosure I got from uh, uh, uh our friends at OWC. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, to back up my stuff because it's fast. So it is fast. Yeah.
0: Hey, I want to talk about um,
2: Thunderbolt. I, 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 uh, uh, again, I, I dilly dallied with the, you know, display port thing from Amazon to HDMI, but I really don't use it that much. So, so I got to say, if anything, I use USB three is the, of the two standards, the one that I use the most Yep. and, and it's to back up to an external drive using carbon copy cloner. And, and so far I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah. You're good to go.
0: Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a good world we live in. I hope Thunderbolt lives on. Um, I hope that what we're seeing with the MacBook Well,
2: you know, some some when they saw the new MacBook come out, um, said, Oh, because they didn't include Thunderbolt and they did this USB C USB C right? Nastiness. Mm -hmm. They were like, Oh, well, Apple's phasing it out. It's like, No, I don't think they are. I think they're just
0: segmenting their market, right? I, I I I hope so. I mean, it's hard for us any of us to know. Apple may not even know. But they probably do. Mm-hmm. Hey, I want to talk about uh Barebones at barebones.com. Uh, or Barebones Software, I should say, at barebones.com. Uh, these folks have been making Mac software again, you know, we've got these sponsors that have been in the market forever, and it's a gorgeous thing. Uh BB Edit is barebones flagship product. It is a text editor to beat all text editors. And you might be sitting there thinking, why in the world would I care about a text editor? Well, the reality is it can do so much for you. Uh, The concept of being able to use something that is just built to deal with text, uh, especially in today's world, where so much of what builds, what we use is based on just plain text. You know, we talk about editing plist files all the time. You want something to edit plist files? BBEdit's your tool. Uh, Not only is it built to look into these files, uh, it's built to display them in a way that um, it doesn't change the file, but it shows you contents of the file with a little bit of color on the screen to help your eyes see different sections of the file. And that's the beautiful part about what BBEdit does it's really, really, it's purpose-built. It's not like you're trying to open this up in an app that is editing all kinds of documents. You're opening it in an app that is built f- by programmers to edit things that you, as a programmer, and editing a PLIST file kind of dips your toe into that realm that, that you would want to be able to see. You can also edit JavaScript. It It's intelligent. It knows what language it's pulling in. And so you you could be editing JavaScript. You could be editing HTML. Like I said, P list files, you could be editing C It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. BB edit knows what you're looking at and displays it in a very, very simple way so that you get to see what you're doing. They all, Dave, yeah, to me, yeah? it
2: shows you when you're about to screw something up because it's so Aware of the context or the language or the, the scripting language you're using, when you mess something up, it shows you because you're going to see graphically that the colors don't match. That's the visual cue that you kind of messed up. It's totally <laughs> so true. Please to fix this. Yeah, you forget. Which I proposal. found. So I, Go so ahead. I lovingly handcraft the show notes. I, I, I just want to interject because I, I find it useful every week. So when I do the HTML to do the show notes. When I have a typo and I miss a slash or an li or or something like that in HTML, it shows me that and and it jumps out at you. And I think that's very important because that's what a good editor should do.
0: Yeah. No, I I was. You're absolutely right. If you leave a quote open, uh, you know, the whole document changes color. You're like, wait a minute. Why is the whole thing red? Ah, because I didn't close this quote up. And then you close it and everything goes back to the colors that you would expect. Yeah, it's a very subtle uh, and yet very noticeable Queue that it gives you to do this. And now, BB Edit as a version 11.1 has built in support for Git, which is a version control system. Um, there's a Git menu now in the menu bar, presents all the available options. Um, it depends, you know, obviously you have to have pulled the document from a Git repository in order for uh, these options to show up, but it's totally um, there to support kind of the common operations that you'd want. When working with a file that's uh, that's been checked out from a uh, from a version control repository, it totally makes sense, and it's really really well done. Uh, makes It makes life a whole lot easier. We use Git a lot internally here for a couple of projects that we do, and the way BBEdit interacts with it, it just you know it it they remove layers. They just build the stuff in so that you don't have to think about yet another program. Uh, if you've got like a DreamHost account where you FTP your website up, uh, BB edit will directly interact with with FTP and SFTP so that you don't have to, you know, use a third client to download things and then save them and then upload them. BB edit just does it. You open a file from an FTP server, you make a change, you hit command S on your keyboard to save. It uploads it for you. It knows it's all context sensitive. It knows what it's doing. It's really, really well done. And then, you know, I use it just to alphabetize files, to sort lines. Uh, I use it to count characters. There's all kinds of things you can do. You got to check this out. So go to barebones.com, download your trial of BBEdit. It'll last for 30 days. By the end of that 30 days, the 50 bucks that you spend on BBEdit, it's going to be short money. Uh, if you have any use for it at all, you're going to buy it. And if you, if you don't, then your 30 day trial tells you that you don't have use for it. And that's okay. You, you know, you don't need everything, but you really just, you, you do want to go and try it out. Uh, barebones.com, Check it out. And when you buy it, let them know we sent you again. You know, like we've said, we like our sponsors. Our sponsors like to know where their money, um, is well spent. And if you do wind up buying it because you heard about it here, let them know again, that's dot all right john we 've got a couple of tips that I want to kind of run through here, and uh you do huh? we do yeah <clears throat> uh we do well, we uh, do or you do or i do or oh uh, yeah, well, go yeah the y- royal you 're driving the royal we <laughs> hey in in the last show, we talked about uh, we had a question from a listener about how best to share movies, and we missed a couple of things. <laughs> iCloud photo sharing as Allison Sheridan pointed out is a perfect way to do this. As long as you have the storage space. Um, so iCloud photo sharing, you can upload videos in addition to photos and then they are just there for you to access, uh, very, very easily. That that's gotta be the simplest way. And I can't believe neither one of us thought of it. I honestly didn't even know, I didn't think it didn't support video. I just didn't stop to think that it might.
2: Honestly, Dave, I, I, I have to say, even though I have an iCloud account, I, I don't think I have ever used it to share, um, movies with people totally use other means. Yep. Um, yeah. So thank you, Allison.
0: Yep. And Ben wrote in and said, uh, that iMovie theater, which is built right into iMovie, uh, can store your videos on iCloud, and then of course you can pull them down, uh, in iOS and even on Apple TV. The one caveat to iMovie Theater is that videos must be under fifteen minutes. I don't know if that's also true of the whole iCloud photo sharing thing, but it might be. Uh, he said, uh, I found that out when trying to upload my son's epic twenty-minute Minecraft video. So sounds like that's mm-hmm. two epic Minecraft videos—one of one each of ten minutes apiece. So thank you to everyone who chimed in on that. That's good stuff right there. Uh, The last thing I wanted to make sure we went through, and we, we, we've got time for another question or two that, that we might go through here, John, Mm -hmm. uh, depending on how long this takes, Gizmodo put up an article uh, within the last week or so talking about how SSDs don't survive long-term, what we'll call cold storage. And by cold, we don't mean, that they're actually being kept cold. We mean that they're not being used. Um, The general consensus is that SSDs at normal temperatures will last a couple of years without being powered up. And by last, we mean the data on them will last. But as soon as you get into temperatures in the 80s, that cold storage number goes down pretty dramatically uh, and can be, depending on how hot it gets, as short as a month or two before data just starts erasing. Uh, but how many you people think, well, that's worst case scenario. Well, that's
2: what they say, but uh, yeah. so number one, so, so number one, we're, we're referring to temperature in degrees Fahrenheit, which uh, for the rest of the world, that's how we in the U S measure our temperature. So right. translate that to centigrade or Celsius or whatever you want to call it. But um, number two, Dave, uh, my take on the article when i saw it and i think you know you sent it to me and we i cogitated on it and i was like any flash memory subjected to high temperatures without power will fail right so is this necessarily uh, a revelation maybe it's more a warning i think again i thought i thought it was a bit sensationalist because i think you even sent me i think or the headline from some site was your your SSD could die in days if 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 you don't take care of it. And I'm like, oh come on, guys. Yeah, don't 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 scare people. Yeah, don't <laughs> don't do that to yourselves.
0: Yeah, it's not going <laughs> to die in days. Now that does that mean that you should well, like back quite
2: up? A, if you subject it to temperatures of a thousand degrees Fahrenheit or Celsius or whatever, then yeah, sure, sure, because it's it's going to be a you know a smoldering pile of plastic and metal, but. <laughs>
0: If you're SSD, right. Exactly. Yeah. If it's, if it's subjected (laughs) to that, you have bigger problems. You should be backing up. This doesn't, you know, nothing changes here, but don't take this stuff and sweat too much about it. No pun intended with the heat reference. Mm. Uh, Oh, come on. You intended it. No, actually I didn't. It it was, it was brilliant though. It was just my, my subconscious (laughs) brilliance, John. That's all.
2: (laughs) I get that. But, um, I think the the general topic, Dave, though, is whether it be um, flash storage, which I would classify SSDs, or rotational magnetic platter, whether it be metal or glass. And yes, hard drives use glass or metal. That's right. Um, and then they have a magnetic uh, substrate applied to them. They will all lose their capacity if they are not powered up and running and and doing their thing. Um, so I think, Dave, you suggested, and, and I totally agree with you, never count on your storage. The thing is, when you get down to it, you got to back up. You you cannot count on any single point of failure because it will fail. <laughs> no matter an SSD or whatever. Though I, I would say, you know, though though it, uh, I don't want to have an extended discussion, or maybe we should, Dave, but if I had to trust a, a rotational drive versus an SSD to Retain my data long term. I honestly got to say, be an old school type of guy. I actually probably would trust a rotational drive versus well, an SSD.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't disagree Perso- with that personally. Yeah, okay. I, I, I wouldn't. I mean, the the reality is, we have you. And by we, I mean, well, I mean everyone in general, but also <laughs> you and I specifically have more history with rotational drives than SSDs. And I'm, I'm sure like, like me, you have taken an old rotational drive that you haven't touched in years and plugged it in. And lo and behold, there's data. Now, would would that happen with an SSD? Probably. I mean, we don't keep our homes at a hundred degrees, you know, it's probably going to be just fine, but, we don't know. They we just haven't had them in our possession long enough to know what happens over time. So yeah, like like you, I would do right. that, but I wouldn't ever do that. I wouldn't ever take a drive out of a shelf and just or out of a out of a machine and put it on a shelf because I know that the rotation of the Earth Earth what did I say uh, can you know potentially cause trouble to a a dormant uh, rotational drive. Yeah, uh, you know, there's all kinds of things that can happen. Or you might just lose the stupid thing, right? It's better to back up your data to a source that you know you can find and have multiple copies and all of that. So,
2: yeah. All I got to say, Dave, is within my lifetime, so within the last five years, I've had an equal number of SSDs and rotational drives fail on me. And that the number has been one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I have, I, had, I would say I have neither- had
0: one fail as well. That's right. One SSD or rotational? Uh, I have had one SSD fail on me, okay. and and a, a crap ton of rotationals failed over over the years. A crap ton. Oh,
2: okay. What's the units you measure that? it
0: Well, crap tons, but it. You know, I mean, I've had. I've probably how had old were they?
2: I, I, I'm curious because uh, to me,
0: uh, once you go beyond uh,
2: and in my mind and, you know, please inform me, but once you go beyond five, six, seven years uh, to me, that's the expected lifetime of a rotational drive. I've, I've had green drives fail in like two years. Oh, and actually I did too in my T vote. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but, um, you know, uh, big boy drives. Well, but how many people buy big boy drives? I mean, I, I don't, You know, like blacks or reds, right? Yeah. If if you're using WD terminology. I haven't, I haven't, I I haven't
0: bought those. I I have some, I haven't had them long enough. I have had none of them fail, but I've had them all less than a year. But yeah, Mm. green drives I've had, I've had some last 10 years and and counting. And I've had some that die after a year and a half or two.
2: And actually I'll step back. No, I had a green drive in my Synology and it alerted me. It was like IO error, which is like, okay, that's bad. Yeah, right. Yeah. So Time I've had go. one green drive and I had a green drive in my uh, TiVo fail. So actually, I take that back. I've had two green drives, rotationals, within the last couple of years fail on me and yeah. one SSD. So, yeah.
0: But, you know, drives fail.
2: They, they all fail.
0: They're all going to fail. The question is when. And and then the reality is we haven't seen SSDs failing at a rate that would make either one of us stop and say, whoa. Uh, I don't want to use these things. I mean, there's that just, uh, that hasn't happened. So don't, don't sweat it. Back up your data. Don't worry about the, 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 the fear, uncertainty, and doubt that that, Gizmodo wants to walk away. That's what
2: you have to walk away from. That's right.
0: It's time to walk away.
2: Well, it's not time to walk away, Dave. It's time to start a backup and then walk away because backups take a long time. Feedback well, what at doesn't take... is the email address. I was going to say that, Dave. In. Because what doesn't take a long time is if you want to craft an email with a question, a comment, a tip, a video, audio, um,
0: cookies, uh, you would send it to feedback at mackeygab.com. Feedback at mackeygab.com, unless you are or want to be a premium subscriber, in which case, Premium at MacGeekGab.com is the address to which you want to send all of your stuff. And yeah, we do take a look at that stuff first. And if you want to know more about uh, MacGeekGab Premium, visit MacGeekGab.com. And all the data is there. Uh, you certainly don't have to be a premium subscriber to be a listener. And I think you all know that. But uh, but for those of you that can and want to uh, support us directly, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, the Mac Geek uh, Premium definitely makes a difference to uh, what we're able to do here. And, and it, it, it makes yes. a big difference, actually. So thank you. 206 666 Geek is the phone number you can call. And John Geek is. What is a phone number, Dave? <laughs> but if I knew what a phone
2: number is, I would respond to your query by saying 4335.
0: And we have a great Facebook group going, folks. Uh, great conversation and discussion. John, you posted something out there today um, that we actually did get Dude, I to.
2: kicked... I, I got to say, I kicked ass. I think <laughs> I totally kicked ass because due to stubborn... Bullheaded persistence, man. Bullheaded... I'm sorry. Uh, bullheaded persistence, I found out how to get the TP-Link utility which is allegedly a piece of Windows software to work on the shiny new TP-Link switch that I just purchased per the recommendation, kind of, of my esteemed colleague here, Dave Hamilton. So check out the page. You will see the details of the magic that I wove or woven or under,
0: whatever. The easiest it was way It fun! To, the, it is fun. Yeah. The easiest way to find our Facebook group is uh, just go to macgeekgab.com slash Facebook. That will redirect you there. It's the easiest way. It is a community. You can read anything there but if you want to uh, post or anything you, you've got to join the community. But, uh, but it's an open community. We approve everyone and we've got several moderators in addition to John and I that, that really help out. Michael and and uh and brian and i can't remember sharon's first name so it doesn't come to mind but but yes thank you for everyone that that helps out there sharon uh, he's our
2: yeah. he's our bud down well you may you know you should have let me know that he he probably would have hooked up with you because i do believe he works for or yeah. did work for yeah um uh the, the, the mouse the, the mouse yeah. yeah you might be right about that yeah all right. I, I think I'm almost certainly right about that. Sometimes I am.
0: <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, all right. And uh, I want to thank Michael Johnston for converting the show to AAC. Michael is the producer and host of the iOS show, a fantastic podcast that I highly recommend you listen to. Also, the publisher of GetAppler.com, a great way to learn about new iOS apps that, uh, that you might want. So that's uh, that's Michael. Of course, thanks, Michael. Uh, thanks to all of you for listening, contributing your questions, your tips, all of that stuff. Cashfly c a c h e f l y dot com provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Thanks to you folks at Cashfly. The podcast marketplace this month includes, of course, the folks at Barebones Software at barebones.com with BB Edit, Linda at lynda.com com slash m-g-g for 10 free days. Otherworld computing at maxsales.com. You gotta check that out. iMazing.com. Coupon code m-g-g saves you 20% there. Smile.com slash geek. Sorry. SmileSoftware.com slash geek always brings you to our deal there. Squarespace.com slash MGG with coupon code MGG to get you 10% off. John, we've had people in the chat room today calling us bit and bite as opposed to click and clack referencing the car talk reference. I don't know which one of us is bit or bite. That is up to you to decide. John, do you have any advice to share before we let this one go?
2: I don't know if I do. Dave, because the thing is, you've been traveling, and the thing is, you're back. So, Dave, I I think the conclusion is clear that what happened is you didn't get caught. Made up.